What would you do to be with the love of your life? Would you borrow them money as you planned your future together? Would you wait on the sidelines for those future plans to come to fruition because the love of your life just happened to be married to someone else? How far would you go? On June 29, 2001, single mother Patty Atkins of Maryville, Ohio, went further than many of us would dare to go, and she has been missing ever since. That love of her life, a married man named Brian Flowers, has long denied any involvement with Patty, and his wife has stood by his side. Is there evidence out there that proves Brian is responsible for Patty's disappearance? Will Brian Flowers or his wife ever tell us what they know? And will we ever know what happened to Patty? This is episode one of They Disappeared, The Silent Flowers, The Disappearance of Patty Adkins. Friday, June 29, 2001. Single mother Patty Adkins is making final preparations for a week-long trip with her boyfriend, who is a co-worker of hers at the Honda Automotive plant in Marysville, Ohio. Their plan is to leave for their trip after midnight, when their shift ends. That's when they will head to a cabin located in a remote part of Canada. Their trip coincides with the 4th of July shutdown week at the Honda plant, so Patty boards her pets in town, sets up a hair appointment for the following week, and only packs a small bag of clothes. She leaves her daughter, seven-year-old McKaylee, with her ex-husband, and makes arrangements to pick up McKaylee from her sister Marsha's house when she's to return on July 8th. Patty then rides to work with a friend, which was out of the norm for Patty as she typically drove herself to work, due to her being a line lead. She was usually the last of her team to leave at the end of each shift. Patty had been working at the Honda plant since she was 19 years old and had worked her way up. She had recently been promoted and was in line to test for another promotion. So it seemed that the sky was the limit for her. Despite being divorced, Patty had a cordial relationship with her ex-husband. That was for the sake of their daughter, McKaylee. Those who knew Patty described her as a devoted mother who was both independent and strong-willed. And it was during this time in her life she had fallen in love with a co-worker who she had been seeing for over a year. Now due to the sensitive nature of this case, and possibly for legal reasons, Patty's co-worker boyfriend has not ever been named publicly by law enforcement. But simple online searches and first-hand accounts identify him as Brian Flowers. Patty had only told those close to her about her relationship with Brian, 
and for good reason. You see, he was married with a family. Slowly over time, Patty provided her sisters with small details of their clandestine relationship, explaining to them Brian was getting a divorce. But he had to wait to start the process because he co-owned a business with his brother-in-law and needed to buy out the in-law's interest before starting divorce proceedings. It was also around this time that Patty told her sisters a secret she had been keeping. She had been giving Brian money. A lot of money. Patty had disclosed that over the course of a year, she had taken out a 401k loan, a second mortgage on her home, and even cash advances on credit cards. In total, she admitted she had given Brian close to $90,000. Despite her sister's warnings of carrying on a relationship with a married man, and that giving him money was insane, Patty reassured them that Brian was going to get divorced and was going to pay her back. In fact, according to Patty, Brian was going to start paying her back in July which coincidentally was at the same time he suggested they go away together to that remote location in Canada. On Sunday, July 8th, one week after Patty had clocked out of her shift at Honda, her sister Marcia expects her to return from her vacation and pick up McKaylee. But by noon, Patty hasn't arrived. At first, Marcia isn't too concerned, assuming Patty is possibly running late. But as the hours tick by with no word from Patty, Marcia begins to worry. You see, Patty was the type of person who would call any time she was running late. And now, Marcia can't stop thinking back to the details of the trip Patty had given to her on the day she left. According to Patty, Brian had told her not to pack anything for their trip, explaining they would buy what they needed on their way to Canada. The location of the cabin they would be staying at was so remote that Patty would be outside of any phone service area. So Marcia not be able to speak to Patty that entire week. And what had to be the most ominous and disturbing detail of the trip, Patty said she was to clock out several minutes early and head out to the parking lot and then hide in the back bed of Brian's truck, underneath a tonneau cover. A cover that had been recently ordered and installed for their trip. The reason Patty gave for needing to hide in the back bed of the truck was that Brian carpooled with a friend, and he didn't want the friend to know about the trip, or Patty which begins to raise so many questions about Brian's sincerity when it came to Patty and her safety and the true intentions of the trip. (laughs) 
Marcia let Patty know her thoughts on the trip and peppered her with questions on the details that concerned her the most. Common sense questions, like if Brian truly is getting divorced, why make her hide? What was the risk in the carpool friend finding out about her? Why should she not pack anything for a week-long trip? And why choose a place no one would be able to contact her? But Patty could not be convinced there was anything to be concerned about. And now, with Patty over two hours late to pick up McKaylee, Marcia has made the decision to call Brian. Marcia had never met or spoken to Brian before, so she had to look up his number before calling his house. And when she does, his wife answers the phone. Marcia, still sensitive to the complex situation of Patty's relationship with Brian, asks for him under the guise of her wanting to be a potential customer of his business. The wife informs Marcia that he will be back later that afternoon, which puts Marcia at some ease, assuming he and Patty are just running late returning from their trip. But by 5 p.m., with still no word from Patty, Marcia becomes desperate to find her. So she calls Brian's house again, and this time, he picks up. But what he says about the trip and Patty sends her into a state of shock and panic. The following audio is from an interview Marcia gave for The Crime Show Disappeared, in which she describes that phone call. I said, where's my sister? So, what do you mean? I said, Patty, my sister, you know, you guys went away. And he got quiet and got a little bit, I don't know how to describe, just different, like, um, Patty. Oh, you mean from Honda? And like, you know, just kind of vague. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, no, I, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Stuttering, stammering. So what did you do to her? Because I, I, she had left with you. I know she was leaving with you. I can't believe you're saying you don't know her. And then I panicked. After hearing Brian's denials, Marcia contacts the Marysville Police Department at 7 p.m. and reports Patty missing. At 3 a.m. the next morning, unable to sleep and haunted by Brian's denial of any relationship with Patty, Marcia calls him again. And this time, she intends on being more confrontational and tell his wife everything. The following audio is from Marcia's interview with Crime Watch Daily, in which she describes that phone call. His wife answered the phone. Well, what did they say? Oh, he was like, well, what do you mean? Like, no, I mean, you know, we just worked together. And the wife was asking why I thought that he had murdered her and what supposedly was supposed to happen. But did you say to the wife, your husband and my sister were about to take off and he's leaving you? Did you say that to yeah, the wife? Yeah, I said that that's what she was, so they were supposed to go to Canada. She's been giving him money. They're supposed, you know, he's supposed to be buying out this business. But was she calm? Very, yeah, they were both calm. If you call me at three in the morning and I don't know what's going on and you tell me that my husband had a plan to run away with a co-worker and that she's been giving him money and that he's leaving me, I'd be pretty upset. Yes, you would think. 
On July 13, 2001, two weeks after Patty was last seen, investigators assigned to her case go out to Brian's home to question him about Patty. Perhaps surprisingly to them, Brian consents to searches of both his home and business. Investigators are working from behind the clock. Knowing that they have an uphill battle to locate evidence and corroborate the information provided to them by Patty's friends and family. Like the large sums of money Patty had supposedly borrowed to him over the course of a year. Gifts she had purchased and given to him. Like a Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt that Patty had bought while visiting her sister Janine in Miami. And a Harley Davidson telephone. Because he liked Harleys and owned one. Investigators searching the home locate both the Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt and Harley-Davidson telephone. However, no explanation is provided for how Brian came into possession of either of them. At Brian's business, an auto shop in nearby Ada, Ohio, detectives find the tonneau cover Patty had said she was to hide under. It had been removed from his truck and rolled up and stored in a loft. It is collected as evidence and submitted to a forensic lab for testing. As the investigation intensifies, interviews are conducted with Brian, his wife, and his carpool friend, who was with him on the night Patty was to be hiding in the back bed of the truck. According to Patty, Once the carpool friend was dropped off, she was to be let out of the back of the truck so she could join Brian in the front and they would drive away to Canada together. However, Brian continues to deny any relationship with Patty to investigators, saying he only knew her casually at work, that they never dated, and he had no involvement with her. He angrily denies that he ever accepted money from her and informs detectives he bought the tonneau cover on June 26th and installed it on the 29th, which coincidentally is the same day Patty was to climb underneath it. He says the reason he bought it was to cover fishing gear for a trip he was taking with friends during the shutdown week and that he was nowhere near Canada. To create a timeline... Investigators questioned Brian about his actions after his shift ended on the night Patty disappeared. He states he went with his carpool friend about 30 miles from the Honda plant to get some fast food, which he says took 45 minutes after they arrived due to a long line. He then dropped his friend off and drove home. Arriving at around 2 a.m., he then tinkered around a bit in his garage before finally going to bed at around 2.30. Both his wife and the carpool friend corroborate this story. Brian is asked and consents to taking a polygraph, which according to detectives did indicate deception to some of the test questions. But they will not come out and say publicly if he failed the exam. Meanwhile, Cadaver dogs at Brian's home indicate near a freshly poured slab of concrete outside of a barn addition. A backhoe is brought in to dig up the slab, but nothing is found underneath it. 
Investigators speak with the manager at the fast food restaurant, who tells them there is no way they would have had a 45-minute wait after midnight, and provides detectives with receipts totaling only $18 for that entire night. According to Patty's sisters, the money she gave to Brian was in cash only. No checks were ever written, and no agreements exist as proof Patty had borrowed this money to him, or that there was an expectation she would be paid back. Patty had once even told Marcia that they couldn't put anything in writing, because if Brian's wife found it, he would call the whole thing off. Results from the tests performed by the crime lab on the tonneau cover indicate the presence of cat hairs and a positive presumptive test for the presence of blood. According to detectives, lab tests on the cat hair match those of Patty's cats. But the blood found is minuscule, just a speck, and too small for DNA testing by 2001 standards, without consuming the entire sample. Brian's cell phone records are compared with Patty's, which according to detectives do show some communication between the two. However, no details are released on those communications or Brian's explanations for them. After several months of being focused on, Brian lawyers up and stops cooperating. He has never been publicly named by law enforcement, but he remains a person of interest in Patty's case. Out of leads and working with mostly hearsay evidence, Patty's case goes cold. It's been nearly 20 years since Patty disappeared. Her daughter, McKaylee, is now an adult and college student and undoubtedly has many of the same questions everyone else has about what happened to her mother. She has given a few interviews with her aunt, Marcia, for true crime shows covering her mother's case. For years, investigators and the district attorney held out for advanced DNA testing methods to be available so that the speck of blood found on the tonneau cover could be tested without consuming the entire sample. According to a crime blog I read a few years ago on this case, that advanced testing method was used to test the blood evidence, and it came back inconclusive, which if true, would eliminate its significance. It is possible that the blood evidence never existed, and was used by law enforcement as a red herring to coerce a confession or self-incriminating statements out of Brian. Interrogators frequently use this method to rattle suspects, saying they have a new witness or trace evidence, fingerprints, hairs, blood, DNA. Things that someone may overlook in the commission of a crime, or in the clean-up or cover-up of one. It makes a suspect retrace their steps in the interrogation room, which is usually when... They lie to cover their tracks, begin to sing like a bird, or lawyer up. Despite law enforcement teasing that they are close to a conclusion, Patty's case is ice cold. 
No new leads have come in on her case, and no new information has been released publicly. In the many questions that frustrate the online investigative community, and those following this case, remain in limbo. Brian Flowers is a sort of mystery figure in online forums. Outside of the community he lives in, no one knows what he looks like. According to Detective Jeff Styers, who is assigned to Patty's case, Brian never returned to his job at Honda, having quit right after the shutdown week. Public records confirm he sold his business in Ada. He's still married and reportedly still lives in the same house that was scoured by investigators looking for Patty. In 2019, Crime Watch Daily ran a story on Patty's case. Anna Garcia, the reporter covering the story, actually confronted Brian at his home. His face was blurred out, and the exchange between the two was brief. Anna Garcia from Crime Watch Daily, we want to talk to you about Patty. What happened? I was told not to discuss any of this. You need to talk to my lawyer. But what can you tell us? You're the last... I can't tell you nothing. I'm sorry. But you're the last one to have seen her alive. In 2006, Patty Adkins' family had her declared legally dead, citing June 29th as the day she died. Without solid evidence to the contrary... We can only speculate that Brian Flowers knows exactly where Patty is and what happened to her. And it's possible his wife knows too. But until they say so, we are left to wonder what the silent flowers may know. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of They Disappeared. An update to this case will come out shortly. Shortly.